So you know what I realized is that, uh, so I got that uh, Anthem closed beta yeah. invite that, I, that I'm not supposed to talk about, but it's I NDA'd. realized that it's on, it is on December 8th and December 9th only, and that is the weekend of the new Path of Exile expansion. And the weekend so, of no Smash, th- right? Yeah, so uh, a no thank you. Well, there you go. Try harder, Anthem devs. Um, but we just don't have it. Yet. We just don't have it yet. And this is WTDG. What's the deal with games for the week of uh, December the twelfth? The two December, the, December the two be with you. I am the Ryan, and you are the James. Be with you. I am James here. Ryan there. These are the people who are always on the show. Yep. If you listen to the show, this is pretty much what you get. These people, this Ryan is and what James. you've come to expect, and this is what you've got. You're not going to get and much better. We're not giving you any Someti- more. Sometimes you get better than that, and but it hasn't been for a while because Sean doesn't play board games. That's mostly why. But hey, he plays uh, Magic: The Gathering Arena. He apparently does. a lot. Yeah. So maybe, I was just playing. I was just playing Overwatch with him too. Here. Yeah, I, I should be. Maybe able we to... could get him in here just to talk about Magic: The Gathering. Well, he's Arena. going to sleep now because he has he's a early early schedule. But uh, so do we, you? Yeah, I do. I have an early early schedule too, but I I. I, I toy with that a little bit better. I'm I'm a little bit of a I'm a maverick. I live on the edge. I'm not in the same family that I should be. If you know what I mean. You're a, oh yeah yeah. So card games right? Because uh, yeah, we've been games. talking a little bit about Keyforge. We talked a little bit about Magic the Gathering Arena. I've been playing uh, Artifact. Yeah, that's a uh, lot of Artifact, card games. Artifact might have. I, I, how many? What do you know about the mechanics of Artifact? Because there are some pretty surprising things about it. All I know, and I don't know how this works out, is I believe that there are three lanes, similar to a Dota. Similar to Dota, there are three lanes. So let me tell you a little bit about Artifact. Artifact is Dota, but as a card game. So there are three lanes. Uh, you actually play as a Dota team. So your deck consists of five heroes. The heroes are not cards. They're they're something. They're they're units that come onto the field at regular intervals. So when you start a match of Artifact, the first, second, and third hero that you selected are on the board. And then over the next two turns, uh, the heroes that you didn't queue up for a second and third enter into the lane of your choice. Okay. So the heroes are four different colors, red, green, blue, and black. And when a red hero is in a lane, you can only play red cards into that lane. Okay. And then, but if there's, let's say there's two, there's a red and a black. Can you play red and black cards? That's right. Okay. I'm starting to get this. So it's pretty interesting. I'm picking, right? it up. Uh, I'm picking up what you're so, putting down. So the way that it works is each lane, you know, it has its own tower and each of the towers have their own mana. So you're going to have two mana on the first tower, two mana the second, two mana the third, and then on the next round they go up to three mana. So that's sort of like Hearthstone. But sort of the interesting balance, and, and you know, is that a lot of people, and, and I don't know if this is just the way the meta is, but right now a lot of people end up really going hard on that first lane. What do you mean? They put and, all and their heroes in one lane or something? They put all their the, like because you have a set like you have a hand, right? And your cards can only go in one lane. So part of the game is really figuring out, like, well, what lane do I focus on? And everyone ends up putting... So so let me tell you a little bit more about how this works. So the way that the turns go is I play a card, 
and then you play a card and it keeps going until both players pass. And then once players pass, it moves to the next lane. Essentially what happens is once both players pass, the units attack each other on both sides, they mutually attack each other, and then it goes to the next lane. So positioning is actually like a huge part of artifact because the attacking is automatic. Your units hit whatever's in front of them. And similar to Keyforge, uh, they can only be placed on flanks. Okay. So it, it is really like if, if you play this and you play Keyforge, you can really see like some of the similarities in them because the way that like the, the colors work in the deck, it, it sort of is like a Keyforge family where you're declaring this to be like a red lane or you're declaring this to be a blue lane. And because it's a blue lane, you can only play blue cards in it. But here's the crazy thing. Uh, if they kill your hero and you don't have a hero in that lane, you can't play any cards to it. So that is kind of cool because there is, a, because like defense is so important in this game. Uh, by the way, I didn't tell you the way that uh, you win or lose in this game. The way that you lose is uh, if two of your towers fall, you lose. Or once you destroy a tower, you can directly hit the enemy ancient, but the ancient has like a ton of HP. So it's easier and more likely that someone hits like, you know, takes out two towers before they can destroy uh, a tower and an ancient. Okay. Um, so a couple questions. Uh, uh, you, I guess you're starting with like a base deck of cards. Do you get more cards as you're going? Uh, so they give you tw- like, I think 10 packs when you start. I don't actually think buying packs is a good idea because you can buy most of the cards like on the marketplace for like cents, like literally like pennies, you can buy cards. So there's no real reason to buy more packs okay. unless you're doing like the, the drafting mode. Mostly what I've been playing so far is they, so this set is called like call to arms. And there is like this, uh, this featured mode called just like call to arms core decks, where you choose one of like six core decks and you just, uh, play against other players who are playing their core decks. So I, I've just been playing that because uh, the pre-constructed decks sort of give me more insight into what kind of cards I want to be using, what kind of deck I want to see. I think I'm going to end up playing a uh, blue-green deck. But right now, Artifact is sort of in the same position of classic Hearthstone, where it is dominated by uh, minions that have good stats. Uh, the best unit and most expensive card in the game. Axe. It is Axe. It's like $16, and he's nothing but, like, stats. He just has, like, a lot of attack, a lot of armor, and a lot of health. And he's the best in the game. Well, there you go. Uh, and, and I wonder also if it's just, like, I don't know if this is, like, a Garfield thing of just, like, Garfield. make the base set weak. Okay, Andrew Garfield. Okay. Or not Andrew Garfield. Um Richard Garfield. Richard? Yes. Of just like make the base set weak so that you could, you know, see where things land and then make things stronger from there. Hmm. Artifact also is a pretty timely game. As you might imagine, considering like the way that I told you about it, like back and forth, you play a card, they play a card, you play a card. Okay. So it can take a while. Uh, right. But I dig it. So How, what's, a, what's a typical game last? 
uh, 20 minutes. Okay, that's pretty good. That's not bad. But the styles there uh, looks a lot like Dota. Really, really high production value. I was going to ask, yeah. Uh, have you been playing any card games? Did you try Magic Arena? I did try Magic Arena today. Um, that's free to play on many platforms, I guess. But you have to get it from the site. They're Magic the, the, the Gathering Arena, uh, the online game. Um, that is a pretty good game and I continue to, and I want to play more of it. Uh, you, the, the things I would say is that, uh, the best thing I could say about it is that if anyone's ever had any interest in magic, but they felt like they were afraid of, I don't know, the, uh, the monetary cost of getting into magic at this point or the, like not having people to play with or, uh, being afraid of like learning rules or anything like that, then this basically will completely this this got all your problems fixed. Uh, the the they have an extensive, extremely solid tutorial, which I am very happy about because I understand magic, but this definitely reminded me a lot of things that I might have not known. Uh, and the tutorial goes over basically every major rule that you'll see to the point where after the tutorial, you they really it, it, it's quick it goes by quick and it's interesting and you're getting rewarded as you're going through the tutorial but once you're done you pretty much understand every major keyword and every the mate the the flow of the battle and everything you get a um base deck for the for each color of magic that are that are, the decks aren't good but you do um get these decks and uh there are you know, dailies and stuff to be able to get money for extra packs. And as you play, uh, the, the, there's like weekly rewards for getting uh, better than the base packs. Um, so after like your first week or so, like I think tomorrow I'll get a choice of of a gr uh, there. There'll be a group choice between different uh, multicolored decks. To... For some reason, I thought this was going to be a game that is just about drafting. No, they have they have those things. They do have they have drafting. They have constructed. Uh, it it is a pretty robust. Uh, it is a pretty robust game at this point. Um, even in beta, it is a it is very robust. It, it the uh, the the general presentation is very good. The the boards look good. Uh, like. Just simple little touches of like the different animations are good, and the way that like when you tap uh, lands for a creature, like the lands tap, and then that energy flies into them. Um, but Magic is cool. Uh, definitely, kind of shows you what other card games are missing, uh, especially Hearthstone, because uh, Magic just has a lot more choices generally to make when you have a better deck, sure. But like the the my uh, initial thing is that I am you know, not happy with the current, with the starter decks. They're not that fantastic sure. or interesting. That doesn't, that shouldn't surprise anybody. But, uh, since when you get out of the tutorial, you're fighting people online, it can be a little frustrating. Um, the games last super short, like super, super short, like five like to five seven minutes. Yeah. Five minutes to like seven minutes at the longest, like they, they breeze by. So even when I'm getting like a really bad game like a like a super bad hand or something and that's happened a lot is like that's the other thing is like even with mulliganing um magic you're, the the weird thing is that you're going back to magic's worst thing but is so inescapably a part of magic and that's lands like lands are the resource in magic is a card that you draw um which is weird to have to explain that but 
Uh, most games have found a way to get away from that because it, you know, creates problems like case in point. Um, I was playing a game before we got on and I just could not get lands. I had a whole yeah. hand of like these heavy, so, heavy cards and I just so didn't have pardon lands. my ignorance a, a bit on this, because, but, but you talk about lands. Uh, one of the things that I I'm, I'm curious about is, uh, does this contain like the full compendium of like Magic the Gathering? Like when I think of Magic the Gathering, I think of a game that's been around for, you know, more than 20 years. So what cards are like legal in um, Magic these days? Like how does that work? I don't know. I mean, I know that when I, I played Magic for a little while and I know that it was generally the last three sets and like a rotating thing. Um, but uh, for this game, I, I do not believe that it, it definitely does not have uh, every magic card in there. It's like a current set of like, I don't know, Ravnica something. I don't know, because there's multiple sets that have been called Ravnica or whatever. But um, so uh, so you're not you're not dealing with a billion cards. What are there like unique and interesting types of land? Yes, there are. There are definitely unique and interesting def types of land of which I don't have any because yeah. if you're starting these base decks. But yeah, the, the next step up from the base decks, like I said, is that you because you start out with, as I said, you start out with every color of base deck and then as rewards... Like I when think you say every color of base deck, do you mean like a solid green, a yes, solid red? Yeah, you get you get a solid black, solid green, solid what red. What is your solid favorite blue. color in Magic? Green. Mine is white. White, white is blue. pretty cool. I like I like green. Green is like a ramp, druid style deck for people familiar with Hearthstone, uh, where there you are, you have big big creatures uh, that are very you know, it's like a brute force big big deck that you are trying to ramp up to get a lot of mana quickly to be able to play big, big you, creatures. How do you play instants in Magic the Gathering Arena? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, so every, so it does it does definitely, uh, it's definitely weird to get used to, but, and like this, but this is so important in what makes Magic different than some of the like games that are currently on the market and the thing that Magic does have and its benefit, and that's like when things are trying to happen, uh, the game a asks for you to like resolve it. So when someone's trying yeah, to, so that's, that's someone, similar to Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. So so, and I I would have thought that like I took them a while to make a Magic game, um, because there was a Magic the Gathering online, but it was so, but it was like kind of freelance and it was messy. Um, it was done. It was like a um clandestine version of it, and uh, it has a, it had a lot of problems with like I want to play this. Okay, wait for the enemy to resolve. Okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay, they, it resolves. Okay, now I want to attack. Wait for the enemy to block. Okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Uh, like stuff like that. So you you do kind of the game does like stop pretty quickly between different things to allow you to play your instance and allow you to like counter spell or stop an enemy from coming out or to like buff an enemy before it goes to an attack um it doesn't like they they've done a good enough job with presentation and the overall way that the scheme works out that i think that they've kind of solved those problems just by uh balancing like the amount of time you're allowed to wait on certain things um People can be assholes. I, I imagine this is a huge part. Sean complains about this, but uh, uh, people just waiting at, on every resolve or uh, you have like a timeout they, that you can rope, use. And they you rope can, you. Yeah, like they you can time, you can use like a timeout to like stop the game and then run out like a 20 second clock. And you can just like do that a couple times per game just to like, you know, you're losing and then you're being an asshole and you're just like timing out and like waiting for all the resolves. So it's not like... 
it's not super perfect, but which has always been crazy to me, by the way, considering like it's your time. I don't know, it's your time too, right? Yeah, I never, I never understand that. It's your time too. Like, when if I think I'm gonna lose the game, then I want to concede it and get to the next game, and then start like you know learning or playing the game or having fun. Absolutely. Like, why? I I never understand the the point of like, well, I also want to waste your time. This is a big weird thing in the Dragon Ball Fighters culture. Um, there's 30 seconds before you ready up to the next game and people will, will like beat you once and like, maybe it's laggy or something. Or like, I've had times where I've beaten someone multiple times and they're like good games and I'm like enjoying it a lot. And then they beat me one time after like four games and then they just wait out the entire timer. And then on the last second they go down to, uh, cancel and they quit out of the, the, so they don't rematch. And it's like, well, why did you waste 30 seconds of your time? Like, you could have been getting into a game and learning. Like, the, I don't understand why, like, you lost. Are you, like, lost four times, you beat me one time. Like, why are you wasting your and my time right now? I don't, I don't understand this. I'd never understand the way that people act in video games. But, uh, yeah, Magic the Gathering is pretty good. I, I de- I'm glad to and, hear that. And it's definitely important, and I, sh- I can't stress enough Magic the Gathering Online it, it it just it does away with every kind of I think every problem that a perspective magic uh, player would want would be afraid of uh, everything yeah. like like you know you can get the cards you want to get just by playing the game you can get pack packs you can have the game totally explained to you you don't have to deal with the rule thing the, like some rules issues because it's an online game it's it's a video game so so like the difference between card games like physical card games and video games is like you're you're asking like can I do this does it work this way but within all, with with Magic the Gathering Arena it's like just you know it's not the the card is grayed out you can't do it like it just there's no question about whether or not you'd be allowed to do that or not you know what i mean like everything resolves yeah, and does it for you sometimes sometimes digital is really great as a way to teach you how to play a game like teaches you what you can and can't do definitely not the case for like the scythe game but for magic i could absolutely see it yeah you know i actually had this entire week off so i had like following the week of thanksgiving just like the total week off and i actually did nothing but play video games so it's been a busy week for me, and I've really been trying to catch up on things before game of the year. I've been trying to play just like and finish out as much as I could. But but one of the things that's sort of been tripping me up is that there were so many games that were like deep in my backlog that I really wanted to push through and, and, and get to. Uh, like Bloodborne, I, I've played through almost all of Bloodborne. I like that game. That's a good game. Uh, my game of the year say, though, 16 or whatever. My favorite, my favorite Souls game is still Dark Souls Two, uh, which is crazy to a lot of people, but that's the way it is. I don't think that's that crazy. Uh, that's a that was like Dark Souls One is the most arcane of all the Dark Souls, and Dark Souls Two is not only like probably the largest Dark Souls game I can think of. Uh, definitely base like the Dark Souls Two base game is like massive without anything, and it also like simplified some stuff that probably should have been more simplified. So I I, I understand still liking that the best. Bloodborne is great. the The weapons feel really unique and different from each other. Uh, one of the complaints I made to you is that I'm running a Dex build, and uh, you know the only weapons I played with through the whole game were the rifle spear. And then the Blades of Mercy, and I really haven't found anything else that scales with decks above a D. Uh, but I am using like the Holy Moonlight Greatsword 
glad glad that's in the game for whatever reason but that's a lot of fun yeah there's there's some cool weapons especially i'm surprised i I feel like you might be missing some that you pick up along the way in the beginning of the old hunters dlc there's like five weapons just on the ground as you're walking oh i know yeah they are and maybe i'm wrong but those are strength weapons i i got a a ton of weapons every every time i picked up a weapon i got really excited I would go to the stat screen and then it'd be like, oh, another strength weapon. I mean, I, the, I I don't remember stuff. I also don't know if the scaling is that important always. Like, uh, I think you can do pretty well with stuff where, because in Bloodborne, I kind of had kind of a medium build where I was between strength and dex. So I did use some like strengthy or dexy things. But uh, yeah, but I think it that... actually also seems like arcane is really powerful Every almost every weapon in the game scales with arcane. Yeah, and that's pretty wild. Uh, so I've been playing that. I played through all of Hitman. Uh, so in order to make sure that I could actually finish it, uh, there were a couple of levels that I only played through once. Once, which is really antithesis to the way that I like to play through Hitman, of like seeing all the stories and doing all the weird shit. And like coming up with an idea and being like, ooh, I wonder if this works. And every time it does. And man, Hitman 2 is, it's the best Hitman game. I mean, there's not much else to say about it. Uh, it, it. It took everything good about 2016 and made more of it. And, you know, they remastered all the 2016 levels with updated enemy AI, updated uh, like camouflage techniques, updated uh, um, inventory. So... It's a great game. I'm, I'm glad I got to play through it all. The last level is absolutely insane. Also, my favorite level in Hitman 2, there's actually just a level that takes place like in the suburbs. And for whatever reason, that is a really fascinating venue for like a Hitman level. Will you go back to it able since to, like... you didn't you know, complete everything? Or Yeah, so one of the reasons why... I, I didn't want to push through everything is because I know that there's going to be DLC. So once some of the DLC comes out, and, because I bought the edition that comes with like all of the DLC and they always do like the elusive targets and they're, they're going to keep adding more content to the game. So I didn't want to burn out on it too fast. So I, so I played through every level once. And the reason is because like when they introduce like new elusive targets, I want to make sure that I've played the map that the elusive target hits. If you're not familiar with the elusive targets, uh, they are contracts that you can perform once. And if you die in the mission, that's it. You don't get another chance at it. If you succeed against the elusive target, you get a uh, unique unlockable. So so it's a really like a high stakes mission. So I wanted to make sure that I had been through all the levels at least once just so I could figure out... uh, just so I would know the lay of the land. All right. You've been playing anything else? I've been playing a ton of stuff. I played through uh, the return of Obra Din in its entirety. Uh, that is a game. I'm trying to remember who made it. It is the guy who did uh, Papers, Please. And his name is Lucas Pope. So Lucas Pope put out this game earlier this year Uh it it is scoring currently overwhelmingly positive at 98% positive reviews on Steam. It is like a darling. There were people who were looking forward to this game for years and years. 
And it is a really neat puzzle game with a really fantastic soundtrack. Essentially what it is, is you, I believe you work for an insurance company. And there was this ship, uh, the Oberdin, that got lost at sea. And then somehow mysteriously ends up back in a port. So you go onto the ship and you have this magic pendant. And what the magic pendant lets you do is whenever you find the remains of someone, uh, you can see their last few moments in life. And essentially what you're trying to do is you have an, a picture of all of the, the, the crew and you also have a manifest and you're trying to look at the people and figure out who they are, what their role was and how they died. So at the start of the game, uh, you hear people like knocking on the store and they said like, Captain, we know you're in there. And because of that, you can ascertain that whoever's on the other side of the door is like the captain. And then you, you know that, okay, so this person was killed by the captain, but I still don't have enough insight about who they are. So throughout the game, you're uncovering like this really like crazy story, like this absolutely bizarre mystery of all of the things that happened on the Oberdin. And like sort of learning about all of the different people, like figuring out like who people hung out with, um, you know, oh, this person is asleep and, you know, they're, while they're asleep, they have like this tag. And because of that, you know that they're this number on the manifest and they're a top man. So they must be this person. And it, it's really neat. It is. I haven't really played anything else like it. Uh, it was really awesome. That's so funny. I don't know if you've seen that you're like, oh yeah, you're this uh, insurance uh, claims or like insurance salesman. And it's like, yeah, sure. Uh, and you've got this magic pendant. And you go aboard this ghost boat, and it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? So Lucas Pope games. I mean, they always sort of, even with Papers Plays, you work at like a, the border, uh, and I guess like his thing. I don't, that is wasn't really magical at taking, all, but. Yeah, but it's about taking these mundane roles and like, you know, sort of creating a cool story about them. Okay. But you got to play it just for the soundtrack. And I don't know if you've seen the style. It's in it's in one bit. Uh, so there's only, it's everything is like black and white. It's like monochrome, just really cool style. Looks looks like a old school like Mac computer or an old school like if you had like the old brick Game Boys. That's yeah. that's what it looks like, but oh, it's wow. but it's a first person. It's it's a really unique style. If even if you're not gonna play it, you you at least should check out what it looks like on Steam, and uh, you know hear that music in the trailer because it's awesome. But but it's also one of those games where it, it probably captures you. Where How long is it? You play because if it's like it sounds like a single sitting kind of thing, so maybe I could. So if you don't want to do everything in the game. You can finish it in like four hours. In four hours, you'll get almost all of the story where you'll be able to see all the vignettes. But if you want to actually discover uh, the true identity of everybody, and if you uncover the true identity of everybody and figure out all of the things that happened, you unlock like a secret chapter in the book. So it's kind of worth seeing everything. Uh, for me to do everything, it took nine hours. Okay. But if you're not going to do everything, then it's like four hours. But it's a it's a really strong four hours. And I feel like after those four hours, you're going to feel unsatisfied and you're going to want to play more. 
And I'm at a, I'm at a point where like, I wish there were more of the game that I could play. Mm -hmm. So have you been playing anything else? Absolutely. Yeah. You could keep asking me that question. I'll keep having fresh answers for you. Uh, but don't because I'll definitely run out. I've been playing a uh, Celeste on the switch. And how, <clears throat> uh, how is that? I was interested in that. That's a, it's a, a really terrific game. Yeah. It's a, yeah, pixel art it's platformer. very much like super meat boy, but with like a, a better aesthetic style and sort of like a narrative, not a, not, not a I, difficult, I, uh, jump, but, uh, but, it, but it's really, it, it's really great. I mean, I don't, it's it's hard for me to really tell you anything else about it other than like, yeah, it's a, it's a hard as nails 2D platformer. Uh, essentially, like if you've played any of those games, you've played them all. One of the things that I've always thought was really cool about games like Super Meat Boy and Celeste is that they're built to be speedrun. Yeah. And because of that, you always know that as soon as you spawn, if you just keep moving, you're going to hit all of the sequences correctly. And and I and I always thought that that was really cool where you never have to worry about like waiting for a sequence because if you just do things as quickly as possible that's usually the way that it was intended to be played. What else have you been had playing? I have been playing XCOM 2. God damn, Mason, seriously. I have been so the thing is is I've been thinking about like okay, what is a game that's kind of like a board game, kind of like a tabletop, kind of like dudes on a map? I wanted something that kind of had the feel of Wildlands that I could play. Uh, I got to bring Wildlands and, over again. Yeah, but sure. And I've always been thinking about XCOM 2, but I was waiting for it because I was like, oh, I don't know. Is it like when it first came out, people didn't have great things to say about it. But actually, uh, last year, a DLC came out for uh, XCOM 2. And it's actually an entirely rebuilt XCOM 2, where they remade all of XCOM 2, but with all of this new shit in it. So it's called XCOM 2 War of the Chosen. And it adds like a bunch of new factions. It adds like uh, this really cool, like stealthy sniper faction. And uh, there's like an alien that's sort of turned on, on the enemies. So you get to like play as like this alien who has special abilities where he can like attack twice and use a grappling hook. And it also introduces like all of these cool, like legacy elements, which is like a really funny thing to call them where like if somebody on your team like dies, uh, there's a chance that instead when they get down that the enemy will capture them and you'll have to go on a mission to go save them. And also it has elements of like the shadow of Mordor nemesis system where there is these, a really scary nemesis called the chosen and as you progress through the game i don't know if you know anything about xcom but it's not just a game about moving dudes on a map because there's actually like a management element to it where you're also trying to like it's sort of like civilization where you're like juggling like your research and juggling your engineering and you know figuring out like oh so i'm going to spend the next five days scavenging for goods here uh and then that's going to make it so that I've developed this new type of weapons, which I can then use to do uh, this mission over here, which is going to be really good because I'm researching these fire weapons that'll be really good against this race that has a weakness. So it's a lot of stuff like that. But then it also has like this, the the new War of the Chosen introduces these new like machinations of like the Chosen will be like, as you progress time, they'll also be like researching technology and they'll also be getting stronger. And they're 
like Shadows of Mordor style, like gaining new traits when you like run into them. So it's really cool because you also have like these nemesis that you're developing uh, across multiple missions. And the mission, some of the missions in XCOM are like emergent. Like there is like this through narrative, but then there's also all of these just like emergent levels. Uh, so it is a pretty unique game. It's probably, if, if you haven't played XCOM before, it's probably a lot more, th- there's probably a lot more going on in it than you might expect. And uh, really digging that as well. They also introduce like these sort of bond system where as, where there are certain characters that will, that will have a compatibility with one another. Uh, so as you put them into missions together, they'll get bonuses. Uh, but if one of them is mortally wounded or captured by the enemy, uh, it will sort of darkest dungeon style give them like negative traits. Like I had this character uh, who forgot to take cover in one mission. And like essentially like I ran out of moves, she couldn't take cover. And then she got like blasted and downed by enemies. And then like after she recovered from her wounds, uh, she developed a new trait where sometimes instead of being able to control her, uh, she will just run into cover and hunker down. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it borrows a lot of cool elements from different games. I forget. I, I fear to ask you this question, but what else have you been playing? I've been playing a uh, Overwatch Yes. So I, I've sort of brought this. Oh, I've also been playing Monster Hunter World because uh, that's the best game of the year. But I've also been playing Overwatch, uh, which is, I feel like, a good place for us to sort of, uh, you know, mutually dock our boats because I know that we've both sort of been getting yes, back dock. into this game a little more. Yeah. Um, uh, I am really liking Ash a lot. And I today had the first time where I under started to understand Hammond, and that is... A pretty special moment i could totally see why you dig that character definitely one of the most unique and high skill cap characters in the game like once you start to get a hang of his movement he's a hamster in a ball which is i think a little jumping the shark a little bit already but um uh, even when people are like oh but there's a you know a, a scientist gorilla and it's like yeah that's you know that was a base character and now you're adding this character and it's like even more silly because it's a hamster in a ball but it, regardless um it has a Hammond has a grappling hook and that is kind of like the key to this entire character concept where you can uh grapple to add momentum to him like grapple around a corner to swing around it but i think the thing that really was the breakthrough for me that i didn't realize was that uh grappling high would mean that you would like as you're getting momentum if you grapple high then you would kind of start swinging up in the air and then you could uh press the crouch button to slam down uh it does a lot of damage it does like 60 something damage and uh pops everyone up in the air so it's this big crowd control um and you can combo it with all this other stuff because his shield uh gets stronger uh based on how many people and how many enemies are around you when you activate it so uh, the typical way that you would like want to engage is like swing around a corner. Uh, uh, you're in the air, drop down on a bunch of enemies, uh, drop your shield uh, while they're still in the air for a big, big shield. Maybe throw out your Q, which is all these like landmines kind of. And so when the enemies kind of yeah. come down, they're having to, to like you know explode on these landmines. And then also he has these uh these pretty good guns. He has gra- uh, like Gatling guns that are uh really good. They're surprisingly good for surprisingly high damage and long range for a tank so really interesting character and i feel like today was the first day that uh 
playing, I kind of understood it, kind of grokked him a little bit. Are you still mostly playing Mystery Heroes? No, I was, I've been playing Quick Play now because I really want to try and get Ash every game. But uh, uh, I and I I do end up getting her a lot, and I feel like she's still want like the most fun that I'm having in that game right now. Do you feel like uh, there are some characters that are sort of less good because of Ash being in the game? I don't I mean, McCree, know the right? last but... time that I saw anybody playing like Social Soldier seventy six. He still seems. I don't know if this is just like uh, I mean a bad meta for him. I don't know. I I don't disagree with you. I think that there's characters that for sure need to be looked at, and Blizzard has done a fantastic job with character rework. So I look forward to that because like Torbjorn and Symmetra from beta or like alpha or whatever, like those characters all the way up until their reworks were kind of ass and they were very situational and weird and goofy. Um, but characters like, you know, those, the aforementioned characters and like Bastion and stuff like that have really become more fun. And even characters that were good already, like Diva, they, you know, gave her more interesting things to think about. So I do hope that, in the future they look at like soldier i don't think soldier is terrible i think that there's that he's become more situational i kind of like him on uh like in like a quick play or in mystery heroes or something uh but in a quick play where um you kind of don't have uh consistent healing or tanking because he can kind of rely on himself a little bit more he's 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 more like indiv- like individual because he has his own healing. He has good like he has can sprint everywhere. He's got good movement, good good burst as long as you can land his uh, missile. But he definitely needs uh, something. He definitely needs to be able to have a tighter burst on his gun. I feel like because he just doesn't compete with other people at this point. Um, yeah, like, like you, I I think you're right. Is like Ash. Ash is like a good example of what a DPS should be. If you land your things, you can you you can take down enemies pretty quickly, and it it doesn't feel like you're um like hitting a like punching bag kind of. It doesn't feel like you're like you know uh fighting a huge sponge. And with some other characters, with like McCree or uh, Soldier right now, I definitely feel like you you can end up feeling like uh, the tanks especially are spongy. They're just soaking up everything and they're, you're not really able to do anything special. One of the things that always like bothers me about overwatch is when I care about winning too much. So I end up playing characters that I wouldn't, that I don't necessarily want to play where it's like mostly Reinhardt. Right? Yeah, I think where we were Reinhardt talking about this, right? Is the best character in the game. He just is like, you can't really like argue about that. There's not, there's not like a discussion to be had about it. And personally, I don't think he's very fun to play. Well, you mean you best character in the game. You you mean that he's like the most essential. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that not what best means? Not, not necessarily, but, but I I agree with you. Um, I, uh, Overwatch is turning me into a shittier person. I think this is my, my problem with Overwatch from the beginning is always that like, they, they, they entice you with these interesting... Blizzard entices you with these interesting character concepts, but you can't really always play them at all. Um, and in a game that has uh, more characters like League or something, you usually, you know, you have a couple characters you like in different positions, and then a new one comes out and you try to get that one or whatever, and it usually slows down a little bit more uh, pretty quickly after a day or two where people aren't playing them as much. Um, but in Overwatch... It can definitely feel like since the game is 
like it's not a MOBA, so you're always kind of having to deal with the movement options and the attack and the abilities of this character. You really want to feel comfortable and you really want to, want to feel happy, and you don't want to be forced onto a character that maybe you don't understand their game plan that much. And it is really frustrating that Overwatch does that. Like, it, it, it does this make any sense? What I'm saying is like with the MOBA. It all every character plays by a core mechanic of just like you know the the clicking and moving uh, melee arranged like they're they're they have like you know their QWER and that's what you're trying to understand. But for the most part, you're playing pretty basic uh, concepts and we, that that are that are universal across the board. Whereas with Overwatch, all the characters are very unique. Uh, you really have to understand the way that their weapons work, what situations you can use them in, when you should back away. There's a lot of cons- There's a lot of like nuance to playing an Overwatch character, and when you find one you like and you're playing it a lot, and it gets taken away from you, or you just can't keep playing it because people just insta lock things that make it so that like, well, I like this DPS character, and even though they're not being picked right now, I really got to help out the team with a tank or a healer. That gets really frustrating really quickly. Um, you know, it, it's frustrating to be thrown onto, uh, being a good team player all the time because no one else wants to be that on is... the bright side. Like when it comes down to like roles, uh, there's characters I want to play in every role, right? But people will complain that Hammond might not be the best solo tank. tank. Yeah. Which is fair. But then you play a tank because I'm playing Hammond and, yeah. and he's, and he's good enough. Yeah, and right? then the, the other thing is like this Overwatch selfishness that that is so rampant in the community uh, that I'm having to now become a part of just be, just by playing it uh, hurts everyone else because if you're gonna have that attitude of like, well, I like Genji and everyone and five people on the team insta picked like insta locked on DPS, uh, so I'm the sixth person and we don't even have a tank or a healer, we only have DPS. Then what are you gonna do? You're gonna be like, oh, you know pick what? Genji. You know what? I'm gonna pick Genji because there you go. And we're gonna lose the game. It's not gonna be very fun. We don't really have a front line. We don't really have core concepts of like actual team fighting. So it's just gonna be like us trying to go for picks, but mostly getting killed and then running in one by one. And everyone has a bad time. But that's the game sometimes. And, and you know what? On the bright side, Overwatch is fast. Uh, it is not like a MOBA where you're suffering through at least 20, you know, upwards of 40 minutes of a game. A game of Overwatch could be five minutes, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I just don't know. I feel like it does. they do need to get to the point where they're queuing up people as things. Like, you're queuing up as a DPS, as like, I want to play Ash. So get me into a game that is, like, pre-made with people forced into playing tanks or healers and then the other people Remember are team for- builder. Yeah. Yeah. Like team builder. I would, of, still like, be, exa- I would still be playing league of legends. Yeah. I would still be playing league of legends too. If they were a team builder, that's a, that, there's a, that's a whole nother story, but, and that, that's what, that's probably one of the main reasons why I don't want to go back to league of legends. Cause hell it's yeah. Probably the main it's, reason you it's, play Hots. it's way worse. It's way, way worse when you're going into a MOBA. You're right. When you're like, I really want to play this character in this role and that is what I want to do right now. And then the game says, uh, and then in the first like minute of of choosing, someone else like locks in that or that character already, or they ban it, or you can't get to that character. And you realize like, well, the next uh, 20, 30, 40 minutes, I'm not doing the thing I originally logged in to, to do. 
that's a bummer. And that's why Heroes of the Storm is good. Yeah, Heroes of the Storm is good. I haven't played this new character, Ophelia, uh, yet. But Although I got to say, the new League of Legends character is the most interesting uh, thing had I've in a while, seen yeah. from them in years. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, uh, Nico, right? Uh, it, she's a chameleon, and her passive or something is like, by being near a hero, she can take on their appearance and their, their health bar as a camouflage so that you could fake people out like by walking into a lane and looking like you're someone else or someone's dying. They, in the video they show like uh, someone is dying and they're running away. They go into a, 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 a bush and then they come out and it still looks like them and the enemy is chasing them, but suddenly the enemy hits them and it's a full health Nico. And then the enemy that was running away pops out of the bush so there's cool stuff with that. That's a, that's certainly an interesting character concept. I, it would almost be like a good time to try and play League again because I don't necessarily uh, want to play her. I think she's a cool addition to the game, but maybe I would play you know the characters that I've been missing and wanting to play uh, in that time while people are scrambling for Nico. But also that's a whole other thing because like yeah. remember trying to get into a game of League that that in, that alone takes twenty minutes, yeah. especially but when I a new character respect, comes out. Yeah, but I always respect it from a distance. Yeah. I always look at League and think like, you know, this game looks good. I could play that. Yeah, I could, I, I could, but I just don't feel like I have the time. And and more so, like I don't, I don't feel like the time as I discover other great games that I can play when I want. Uh, are there any more of those that you want to dis- discuss? Um, if you're done talking about yours, I could talk about. I could show you mine. Uh, what do you got? I hear you've been playing this game, uh, Temtem. Is yes. That right. Yeah, I've been playing. So this game. It is yeah. So is this about the um. The this is about the Undertale uh, cats, right? Uh, that's a that's a that's a callback right there. But no, it's not. Um, this is my game of this podcast. If there's anything that I would want people to listen to, it would be this game right here. Can't play it right now unless you already uh, backed it on Kickstarter. Um, I think it's coming out next year for Switch, Mac, Windows. Basically everything. I think it's even coming out for platforms for like Xbox and for PS4. Um, it is done by a indie dev in Spain, I want to say, um, and uh, it is a Pokemon MMO. It, it it is very simply a knockoff Pokemon MMO. Um, and why is that interesting? Because uh, I th- I think that in a in a sentence it does everything that Pokemon should have been doing uh, all these years. I think you and I have played recent Pokemon games, and I think we've definitely gotten to the point where uh, even years ago, even like years and years and years ago, we've gotten to that point where it's just like these games are just not moving with the times. We grew up with these games, but these games haven't grown up with us, and they're not really. They're not really that interesting to play. I don't really like the, a lot of the new designs. And also, I don't feel like mechanically these games are getting more interesting. They're very simple. They're just about, like, you know, different rock, paper, scissor types. Um, and Temtem is a very special game for a lot of reasons. Uh, because it, 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 saw, it, it does successfully move the Pokemon formula to the future in a way that Nintendo has not dared to do. Uh, so... so- I guess the first question I have is how is this like Pokemon and how is it different? Oh, that's, that is, that is a big question, right? Um, It is so much like Pokemon that you will understand almost everything about core concepts of this game 
from the second you load it up. You wake up as a child that is starting an adventure, and you have to go meet a professor to get your first Temtem, uh, a choice of three. Um, And after that, you will be journeying out from your hometown uh, to go through different towns and get badges and all this kind of stuff. Fight. You might be find. You might be going through some tall grass, Mason. Maybe you see a Temtem in the tall grass, and what do you do? You make it. You get it weak, and then you capture it, right? And then you train it up, and then it evolves. None of this should be should sound surprising to you. So these core concepts are like very much like Pokemon, and it's also like Pokemon in the fact sure. that it is a. Uh, it also has a rock paper scissors style battle mechanic that is a uh like like time like time based kind of like a a, uh uh like picking an attack for your character choosing who it's going to attack okay and then let's see how this resolves who goes first how do the attacks work out based on like priority and based on the weaknesses and strengths uh so those things are all very very familiar uh i think that where it starts to like why is it better uh, is is a big question, and the first answer. I asked why it's different. But yeah, if you got better, why is it? Fine. Why is it different? And and I'll I'll even answer why is it better. Um, why is it different? Because it is a it is an MMO. You see other people running around. You can battle them. You can talk to them. There's a global chat. There's chat for every zone you're in. There's chat for the towns. Um, you can see a friend or see someone else and battle them. Uh, people will be able to like join guilds. Uh, take over gyms, be the gym leaders and stuff like that. Uh, that, I think, alone is like a big thing to, to not be playing alone in this world. I always like MMOs, uh, there's, uh, or at least even like, con- like MMO concepts where you're seeing other people run around. And their, their head Temtem, like the one that's like the top in their order, uh, runs behind them. So that's even a, a way you can kind of show off like, yeah, I got this really strong temtem and people are like looking at like how man like where did he get that where did you find that and you can tell them like i found him on the moon uh but uh the Dang. so uh you know from the you know uh m- more going back to like some of the beginning stuff what i first thought is like this game and why i'm kind of so jazzed on it right now is that from like the m- minute one even in alpha, this game is gorgeous. It is beautiful. The The graphics are like, are incredible, cute, pastel, kind of almost everything cell shaded with great animations. The, the Temtem kind of pop off the, the, uh, the, the screen really, like really well. I think that in the first minute or two, you could, ha- I would be remiss to not say that everyone's thoughts are going to be, oh, look at this generic, like, you know, Pokemon that, like, you know, looks like a knockoff. But then as you start seeing more designs and start being brought into the world, uh, the, the designs are, I think, more interesting uh, than Pokemon has done in a while. And the types are more interesting. Um, there's more types than there has, has than there are in Pokemon, and I could see people being more interested. I don't in types. know if there's more types. I believe there are, I think, but I think I looked at it, and there. Well, there's let's let's say that there's a similar number of types. Uh, I believe at the very least, I think that there's something to like in Pokemon. You have a lot of like the the rock, ground, wind. I actually Fire. think that Pokemon has has more types, but that some of the types in Pokemon are redundant or unclear. Like Pokemon has water fairy. and ice. Yeah, it's got like, fairy is weird, dragon is weird, and I actually feel like in, in Temtem, I, I just like 
the types more. The only the the only type that seems like a little like outstanding to me in in Temtem is maybe like Crystal. Oh, that's but my starter was that, Crystal. But other than that, all of the uh, the types seem to make sense. So that, that that man, there's a lot to say here, and you'd be surprised because it sounds like there shouldn't be that much to say. But uh, yeah, graphics amazing, really pulls you into this cute world. Very extensive character creator. Uh, was surprised about that. Music is really cute and good. This is going to be one of those games where uh, you've kind of talked about this before, but Temtem is that is that kind of game that you load up. And you would like it, you could totally like wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee and just chill out, zen out super hard to like how gorgeous everything looks. The the amazing like vistas, the amazing artwork for everything, the f- seeing a new and uh, Temtem and like how they animate and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, to to go on to like what makes it uh, different in a battle. And I think that's kind of the big the bit that's the big sticking point right because you don't want to just say okay so it's pokemon but it's an mmo and that's all we really did because it's not what they did um the major differences here are that all the battles are uh 2v2 and why that's important is because i think the only time that pokemon started to have any interesting mechanics is that when you have 2v2 uh you can have like certain things of like you, that's when you can start to have like more interesting team comps or like something that's healing and uh, you or you have the different types. So there's more choices to make rather than just like this is the thing that's out right now. Uh, do I attack with it because the enemy is weak or do I pull it away to put in a stronger thing? Um, uh, Temtem uh, has that, but it but since the game is built with that, the core mechanics of it allow for like know that you're going to be playing in this two v two teams. So, for example, um, I picked this crystal starter, and one of the first moves I got for it is this ability where if it's paired with a, it has a powerful attack, but if it's paired with a crystal partner, then the attack's uh, strength gets doubled, and then the priority goes to top of the list. So, there are moves in this game that uh that since the game no, since the game is built on two v two, you're gonna have more like uh interesting attacks that that bounce off of different types that they might be attacking that, that they might be on the same side with or uh having a higher uh like more of a reason to use like weakening attacks like that like maybe the two you have out right now you have one that is has a type that's attacks are really strong against the two enemy creatures so uh, the the um, you know like uh, status ailments and stuff are a little bit stronger in this game and they're a little bit more interesting just because you don't end up feeling like you're wasting your entire turn just to like lower someone's defense because you're gonna lower their defense and attack them at the same time so you're not necessarily just like a sitting duck like you would be in Pokemon where all you're doing is this like uh, this status ailment thing um, so I really like that I really like to see attacks that that play into uh, different team compositions. It's kind of interesting because uh, you would have team, con- you would actually have like better choices in team composition uh, than you would in Pokemon for like actually moves that play off of your team composition. I like that a lot. I think one of the things that I also, the, 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 maybe the biggest difference that I've seen so far is that, you know how in Pokemon there's the PP, the uh, like amount of, Ooh, uh, yeah. the, the amount of uh, uh, times you can use a move. It's is, awful. 
is PP. By the way. Okay, yeah, it is awful. So Temtem has completely done away with that, and they've done a much cooler system uh, instead of that. And that system is a stamina system where uh, your moves cost a certain amount of stamina, and a certain amount of stamina at the end of the turn will will um, will be given back, will refresh. But where this gets interesting is that let's say a really let's say so like on my Temtem right now or whatever, I have a I have twenty two for the full stamina gauge, and I have an attack that takes seventeen. So every turn you get back five, but you have to make a choice when to use it because when to use a move like that. So you can have these strong moves, but it's just going to really suck up a lot of your stamina. And after the stamina is low, it doesn't prohibit you from using those attacks, but for every stamina you overcharge, you overdraw, you hurt that the character, you, you deal hit points to yourself. So you still get the choice of like, I'll use that that big 17 attack, deal a lot of damage, and then on the next turn, oh, I really need to use another strong attack. I can't use that 17 one because it's going to kill me, basically, but I can use this other one and overdraw a little bit, deal a little bit of damage to myself. So you're so like that is an interesting consideration to make throughout the game is like balancing the stamina, uh, not like just like having a good set of moves. In Pokemon, you might have like your super strong... Like, I have, you know, 10 PP of this move, but every time this creature is on the field, I'm just going to use it because it's, like, ridiculously strong. But in Temtem, you're going to have to make that choice of, like, I have this really strong attack, but if I use it right now at the start of the battle, I'm going to put myself on such a low stamina that I'm going to have to start either, like, overdrawing and hurting myself, uh, hurting the Temtem, or I'm going to have to start using, like, weaker moves or waiting out their turn to get more stamina back. I think that's a really interesting choice to make is, like, like is like how do you... When do you play those those big, big moves? Right away. Yeah. Well, not always, because if it's going to go if it's gonna go longer, always then you, right you really start screwing yourself over. But anyway. Gotta do it right away. Um, that's how you flex. I, I would... I, I, I think it's really cool. Um, I, I, I'll I check su- it out. I, I, I can't wait to see what you think of it. I, I think that it is, like... So I'm, gonna, I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this podcast feeling like I've got some homework to do. Yeah, it is. You know? It is. It's a, gotta it's a kind of a special Magic game. The Gathering Arena. Got to yeah. check out Temtem. You got to check out Oberdin. Uh, let's talk about some board games real quick. Yes, let's talk about some uh, board games. Uh, you know, we are actually so far behind on talking about board games. Uh, we played, so I don't know if you want to talk about the games that you got from the Queen's Games bundle that you got, um, of which we played two of three. Maybe, oh man, I don't know. Uh, well, maybe not. Yeah, maybe just I, skip it. There, there, I, I did get a Queen's Game bundle. One I haven't even played yet. I can't really say but what it is, but it's like worker placement-y. Uh, there's another that's uh, like a action cho- placement kind of thing, but that it called Skylands. The first one I was mentioning was called Bastille, yeah. and the second one we played Skylands it didn't really uh, interest me that much. And the third one I would say is the only one that I would kind of want to play again. And it's like a, it's kind of a good it's called franchise. Franchise. It's kind of a good family game actually because it's it's fairly simple, but it does it, it does have pretty interesting it has concepts. The right amount of player interaction. Uh, you, you know, I, I do want to make sure that we're not starting off this section uh, with duds, right? So, I, and I'm not saying that uh, 
that franchise is necessarily a dud, but maybe we should talk about the games we're really excited about. And I've been playing a game that I am really excited about. And it's a game you own. And it is a game called Betrayal Legacy. Yeah, I, I got this. I'm waiting to finish the Charter Stone with my group, but uh, uh, I'm really excited. I, I was excited already. I've been telling you this entire year, I think. I was I was telling you this entire year how excited I was for Betrayal Legacy. So originally, I, I thought about Betrayal Legacy, and I said, why would I want to play 14 games of Betrayal? But I, I kind of did some more thinking about it, and one of the problems with uh, the core Betrayal is the way in which um, the rules are a little janky, right? That that might be the worst thing about it, is that the rules are a little janky. Sometimes the house can be funny and weird and not make sense, where it's like, oh, I found a Molotov cocktail in the kitchen. And Betrayal Legacy... Wait, where else would you fixes... find a Molotov cocktail? That's a great point, actually. Maybe I should... Well, what is this Molotov cocktail doing in the bathroom? But, but anyways... The point I'm making is that Betrayal Legacy fixes everything bad about Betrayal, and let me tell you how. First off, the thing that legacy games do really well, and and most legacy games, I think that Gloomhaven uh, is apart from this because Gloomhaven does a really bad job at this, but that is slowly introducing you to the nuance of the system. I love that, by the way. I love when you feel so, like you're playing a board game tutorial. And it's so fun because they do this thing where you look through the rule book and there are blank spaces. Oh, they the do that in book. a lot of legacy games. And as you go through it, yeah, so this is a Charterstone thing also, where as you're going through it, you are peeling things out of the Folium Infernum. Holy shit, what a good name for a piece of stickers, the Folium Infernum. That's how you do it. You're opening door A in the Folium Infernum. And placing it into the rule book. Uh, and, and man, it is so wild. The thing that is so wild is just that you start the game off. The house is very small. Uh, the item pool and the events are very small. And new items and events are added into the deck based on your actions. Not only that, as you go through the item deck, uh, you are able to uh, make items your family heirlooms, and then those items allow you to have special effects uh, when your family gets them. At the end of Betrayal Legacy, you are going to have a customized uh, version of Betrayal at House on the Hill, which will matter so much more to you. And actually, I think, possibly, be a better version of Betrayal than the core set. And I also got to say, the writing is really strong. So uh, I had actually said, oh, man, you know, Ryan, I played through the prologue. We have to talk about it. And then you already watched someone else play it. And man. Yeah, I watched Rob Davio, the that, designer. That's a little sad. It is a little sad. But then you said you said that that it's I could expect more of that. But uh, I don't want to talk about that. So Betrayal Legacy, what I will say is the writing is really good. I think that Betrayal is actually one of the best uh, way versions of Legacy because of the fact that Betrayal plays so quickly that you're always doing the Legacy actions. The, the coolest part of Legacy games is putting a sticker on something, writing on something, opening something. something up, opening something. 
And Betrayal Legacy has all of that. And it happens so fast. And you're reading so many snippets out of the story. Everything is... Betrayal has always been a game that has a lot of story. And in this game, the fact that they're tying together a somewhat cohesive narrative, it is great. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited about this. Uh, and it really does feel like they Rob Davio uh was right to do this because there's a everyone is is in a legacy craze where they're legacying everything like machi koro why would you do that clank uh, legacy uh, was just announced today yeah yeah they're legacying everything they can't you can't stop them but um uh the i'm, I'm in the the thing about betrayal legacy is that i think that in its core concept it was like how could like it was it's brilliant it's not a game that you have a hard time thinking about how they would do a, a legacy version because of course they would like the the all i need to hear was and this was like early on in the year i remember when or like during summer or something uh they announced that they were going to do this betrayal legacy at the end of the year and i got excited when i heard stuff like uh the heirlooming like you'll find a shotgun and then you'll you know have it in the family and then when you, you when your family comes like another decade or two later, uh, they'll have like this this attachment to like this family shotgun or like someone yeah. dying you also in, name a, it. in a like, room. It, it'll say like blank and then shotgun. So you could name it like, you know, like Eric's forgotten shotgun or something. Yeah, I uh, I found a weathered map and I named it uh, Obra Dinn's weathered map, you know? Ooh, yeah, loving it. Um, and, uh, and that, stuff like people dying and making the house more haunted. I love the idea of like, uh, the, the, even the, just the core of the idea of you're starting out with this house that is not haunted. And as time is going on more and more, you're playing through events at, like every event at this house is going to cause like death, bad things, like possession, spiritual things, murder, like all these kind of things. And it's going to make the house into the house on the hill. It's going to make the house like you're playing from kind of like a basic, a base version you're of this making, house. You're, and you're creating the cabin. You are, in the you are creating the, le the, the actual history, the legacy of this house. Like how could that work any better? How in a legacy format like that, that is, that is brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I also think is so cool is there are just so many cards where it's like, uh, for example, there's a crossbow. And I, I don't know what happens with it yet, but there are there are cards like the crossbow that say, like, every time you get a kill with this, check a box. Once you have checked three boxes, open entry, you know, 189 in the bleak journal. So because of the fact that you have killed people with the crossbow, you're adding new content, more stories into the into the house, into your game, just because of the things that you know, even just because of the items you've chosen to use. That's brilliant. But it also feels like the thing that I always worry about with legacy games, and this is just the way that it is with this is also the way that it is with like uh, RPGs to a certain extent, where there's a lot of content that you're just not gonna see. Because in Betrayal Legacy, it'll just be like, oh, the uh, the the traitor won that haunt. Okay, so rip up this card, rip up this card, rip up this card. Those are not part of your story. It's like, well, shit. What if those were cool items? 
but that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's know? just the way it is, and I, I actually like that. It maybe it might be one of the first legacy games that I could imagine a lot of people finishing and wanting to buy again to like see different pathways through it. And I don't think that's necessarily true for a lot of legacy games. I feel like legacy games, I feel like a lot of them you finish and you just you know sigh relief like Christ, now let's go on to something else. Yeah, because I'm already like every single week I'm scheduling. I'm trying to get two to four games of Betrayal in every week just to make sure that we actually finish it. Because when it comes to games like this, I become like a project manager of just like, okay, we need to actually slot in the time to make sure this gets done. Because otherwise we'll never do it. Uh, You know, Charlene is actually moving out of the area uh, at the end of the year uh, for a bit, for, for a couple of months. So... I'm really trying to get this game to happen before then. Oh, that'll be a bummer. I think she's I, always a she's I a constant good companion for games. Yeah, but Betrayal Legacy is a strong game. Any other? Uh, so we played Yokohama yesterday. Speaking which of Charlene, it's a pretty great game. It is a pretty uh, great game. Yokohama is a worker placement, worker movement, worker placement, and worker movement. Yeah, uh, game. And it is a little bit, despite being a, a pretty easy game to play, it is a little bit hard to explain. Yeah, it's pretty brain burnery too. It it really is not. There is not like a whole ton going on when when everything is understood. Uh, you basically have these like randomly laid out tiles that make up a you make up Yokohama, and you are placing workers down on these tiles either three workers on separate tiles or two workers on the same tile then you're moving this like large pawn this president piece uh across the tiles and the president can only move to areas that have their worker on it so so you're having to like also think about multiple turns in advance what do you want to start seeding beforehand and maybe like start you know like buffing up so that when you want to take that action oh the main thing i should say is that the power of the action you take when you go to that tile is determined by the amount of workers you have on that tile so that's where you have to make some interesting choices of like because i think it's also interesting man there it is hard to explain it is also interesting to have this worker placement game where uh it has a like I don't know how to, I don't know the terminology that I'd say for this, but it's like a contiguous map, uh, and a lot of other like worker and this, the reason why it's not worker pl- worker placement necessarily is that you're not plopping down your you're not able to take the action you want every turn because you have to actually move across a map. So there so you don't just like teleport to where you don't just have all these different actions you can take and then just put the the piece down and say I'm taking that action. Uh, so that creates all these different interesting uh, considerations within the game. Like, uh, for example, you can't take, you can't leave your, uh, you can't take the action uh, that another person just left their pawn on. So, and if you yeah. move, and if you move through them, you have to pay them money for moving through their area. So it creates. So this like is that- the kind of game that I love. Yeah, because absolutely, the thing that I love about this game is, first off, I love worker placement. Huge fan of worker placement. Sometimes uh, the only thing that you are doing in worker placement is blocking the enemy or slightly inconveniencing them. 
and I am huge on player interaction. The reason why player interaction is so important to me is because I don't want to be figuring out a puzzle for myself. I want the puzzle that I'm trying to figure out to be reflexive and adaptive and something that, you know, is dynamic and changing on my turn. Yeah. So I, I really love Yokohama because there is the right amount of player interaction where someone cannot like totally foil or ruin your plans, but but someone can really benefit and prosper off of predicting and anticipating what it is you want to do or what your need states are. Yeah. And, and I absolutely love that. Like, like being able to see like, oh, uh, Charlene doesn't have enough workers available to her. So I'm going to uh, put down a trading house on the, on the recruitment agency so that whenever she uses the recruitment agency, she needs to pay me. So she still gets to take the action, but because of the fact that I anticipated her needs, I get a piece of the pie, and yeah. that's fantastic. Uh, it's really pretty, too. It's a really gorgeous game. It's beautiful. Yeah, but it makes me wish I had the deluxe version because that game is a ton of cardboard. Yeah, and the but, deluxe version know, is I nice, was, all the wooden pieces. I was looking up uh, you know, some of the what a deluxe... Uh, piece set would cost me though and it is not worth the cost i i saw someone selling a premium a premium token set for yokohama and it was 40 bucks of just tokens that's not terrible and if, it's a lot of if you think you're gonna play that a lot though like if you if it was a kind of game that we were getting like multiple like like with brass we're playing a lot of it and i almost want to upgrade it to like the better version of it i just... would say yeah i would do any upgrade to brass yeah because i know that we will be we we're going to play brass the way people end up playing like chess. Like whenever you come over, I'm like, is he going to, is he bringing brass? And the answer is, is yes, because it's so brass? small. It's a fantastic game. And despite the game being like, uh, having very little input randomness, there is so, so much replayability and just the core of what it has. Are we talking about brass again, or Yokohama? Brass. Okay. Yeah. They're both kind of and, similar. And They're both kind of similar in that way where it's kind of like heavy randomization to start and then after that you're not dealing with any randomization or anything random. You're you're kind of dealing with the current puzzle and how other people are dealing with the current puzzle. And it's a similar amount of player interactivity where you uh likewise like they don't necessarily completely foil your plans, but you might have to divert to a different thing or in the same way understand that someone is going to have to do something and then abuse their turns ahead of turn you know like create a situation where you're going to benefit off of it off of what yeah, you think they're going to do so i actually made out pretty well on the uh on some of the black friday deals you know i ended up getting betrayal legacy i ended up getting yokohama there's something i, I ended up getting everdell the Everdell Collector's Edition is another beautiful game that uh, I would like. I, I really want to play with you. Uh, I would really love to play with Priya. Uh, it is a tableau building worker placement game. Uh, I don't think that it has the same amount of legs as Yokohama, but I do think that it is like aesthetically wonderful. Uh, also, tons of randomness and a game that you will play and then and then want to play again just to be like, I want to see uh, what is possible 
in another game of that. How long is that? Because it seems like it's also pretty short. So It is short. Yeah, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. Really, really good time. Really good. uh, You get a lot of value for the amount of time that you're putting in. Yokohama could also be that way once people understand. Yeah, it absolutely could. Uh, But Yokohama can run out fast, but also depending on how people play. Yokohama is interesting because of the way that the game is sort of as long as the players want it to be where someone can run out the clock but uh players could also be choosing to it's like terraforming mars right where depending on the way that you play the game is a variable length the fourth thing that i actually got the the fourth game that i got was actually an expansion i ended up getting the fire and ice expansion for terra mystica oh i didn't know that which introduces it introduces six new races and uh, two new maps. Two Those new races maps. are absolutely crazy. Yeah, I know. I played I, the Fire and Ice uh, Steam game. Yeah, so definitely want to check that out too because uh, you you have opted to leave Gaia Project in my place, which I think is good because it's a heavy game that takes up a lot of space. So it'll be good to always have access to that whenever you're around. But definitely want to make sure that we also play some Terra Mystica in the future mm-hmm. as well. I can't wait to... I definitely want to play... Uh, I, I feel like my itches right now are Brass and Yokohama. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel you. But also you got to get get in a game of Everdell. Yeah, that's easy enough to do. What about Sword and Sorcery also? Yeah, I did play Sword and Sorcery, and I do want to bring it over... Uh, I. I mean, like, I, I want to I want to play it more, certainly, because everything I've played of it, I like a lot. And it is a dungeon crawling, like, fantasy epic. Uh, uh, I, I like so much about it, but it's also kind of frustrating because uh, playing it alone certainly has that issue of, like, a lot of upkeep, a lot of uh, a lot of um, what do you call it? Admin. Like you're yeah. like it it, 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 there's some really interesting things about that game. So, uh, it reminds me a lot of what you would think about when you're playing like Gloomhaven where, but, but it's more D and D than Gloomhaven. So you, you pick a character, okay. um, and, uh, you, uh, have like weapons and armor that are going to be getting better and you're going to be getting loot drops and all this kind of stuff and money. Um, and leveling up and the leveling up allows you to go through like talent trees and choose more abilities uh so a lot of core stuff there i think where it starts to get more interesting or what i like about it is it has like a book of secrets um where there is a lot there is a lot is that like a folium infernum it is like that kind of it's not a legacy thing but uh it does have a it is a large campaign and you are making like choices and going through things or activating things and going through through much more story than you would in gloomhaven and i really appreciate that Uh, i think one of the things that i i really like about it that that jumps out is that the game throws a lot of things your way uh, and and forces you to react to them in interesting ways that I, I think that other dungeon crawlers or fantasy games or like Gloomhaven kind of fails to do. So for example, like uh, there's these shadows on the ma- that are placed on the map. Uh, the game just tells you to place these shadows. There's these tokens, but it doesn't. But they they're random. So on the back, they could have all sorts of things. They could be spawned two enemies. They could be spawned treasure. They could be. Uh, uh, a a simple bystander that you just like save and then they run away and it's nothing. Um, so so when the setup is placing these things, there's so much there in the setup that the game doesn't know 
they like you don't know or the game doesn't have planned for like what you're going to actually see. And I really like that. Uh, when you spawn an enemy, uh, you a lot about that enemy is randomized, even like down to like some of their AI choices or their abilities or their stats, because you pull the enemy, uh, you ha- you pull out the 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 scroll that kind of determines what their AI is, and then you get an extra card that adds additional kind of interesting uh, caveats onto that enemy that will change the, that'll modify them and change kind of maybe they're hyper resistant to slashing attacks or maybe this enemy wants to attack people who uh, have a lot of money. They're it's a greedy enemy and they want to they want to prioritize characters that have the most money. Um, or maybe the the enemy gets like more attacks in if they're near their their allies. So there's a lot more like choices and interesting things happening. And I've watched um, uh, before I bought Sword, Sword and Sorcery. Uh, what made me buy it was that I I just you know I, I have a lot of time and co- during commutes, so I'll put on different like YouTube channels, especially board game stuff, and just like play along and like just like watch what people are doing. And there's a lot of uh, uh, Sword and Sorcery uh, playthroughs. And it's really interesting to see how differently they go for a lot of people, how many, how, how the, the characters you play uh, influence that, how the enemies you find influence that. There also are these, uh, like, uh, modifiers, like, events that kind of go in every turn that will say stuff like either simple things like spawn two enemies or this round whenever anyone attacks, they get a critical attack or this round, uh, like, everyone heals up. Or this round, if there are not enough enemies on the field, put more of them on. So there's all these kind of like interesting random things that are going throughout the game that you're kind of having to deal with on the fly. And it creates like uh, emergent scenarios more than Gloomhaven or a lot of other uh, dungeon crawlers would. And I appreciate that. I think that's pretty cool is like is like you, you as you're playing through it, you very quickly understand and get the sense that you're playing through a very... Uh, unique version of that part of the story that's cool yeah i'm interested to see what that looks like also really curious about thunderstone quest yeah i gotta get that over a totally different game yeah that is a deck building a weird fantasy deck building game and it's competitive right yeah it's weird that's another weird thing is that it's like it's competitive in a way that like doesn't necessarily make sense like you're 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 everyone around the table is like it has the same town and the same dungeon that they're dealing with at that part of the quest but you're trying to get like points and see who has the most experience at the end of it that's kind of bizarre but uh i want to see how that works out it also has a massive campaign like massive and tons and tons of expansions that's like a gloomhaven size box that is a glue that is a gloomhaven size box that is full of expansions and it's pretty wild because it, it 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 is it's it kind of cool the way that they've done it. I've only opened it up. I haven't really like messed with it at all. But um, it's cool the way they've done it because the they have tons and tons of cards, and the cards are all sealed up, and they tell you not to open anything. Um, and you start by going through this campaign that will slowly leak in cards. And as you're by the by the time that you'd be done with this campaign, you would have access to this massive, completely like randomized like you know, pull 30 of these cards, pull 30 of these cards, pull 30 enemy cards. And then every time you'd play, it would be so different based off of this, the, this like game that has like sets and sets and sets of expansions. Very cool. You know, and I, 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 I think that we might be wrapping up now, but I got to say, I am really excited 
for this week, because this week we've got both uh, Path of Exile, Betrayal, which is shaping up to be amazing. We've when are they going to do Path Super of Exile Smash Legacy? Brothers, Ultimate. And, you know, I think Legacy, actually, you know that there was a Path of Exile Legacy League, right? So now they have a Betrayal and a Legacy. They do. Yeah, they have a Betrayal League and a Legacy League. Absolutely. Uh, also, isn't the Destiny 2 expansion coming out very soon? Yeah, I don't know much about that, but I, I, I had heard some good things about Bungie saying that they want to make it so that Destiny 2 evolves over time. So I know that they patched it to add in uh, like pre-expansion stuff, and I think that's interesting. Is that instead Black of... Armory is out on Tuesday. Okay, there you go. I might get into that. I see no reason why I wouldn't, because I didn't fall off of Destiny because I was hating it. Destiny is looking pretty good. Lots of things are looking pretty good. There's not enough time in the world for this. Absolutely. So that's why you gotta, I don't know, you gotta figure it out. You gotta take a week off of work so that you could just get through your backlog. I can't that's take what a week I off did. now. I, but... I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even get, you know, halfway through my backlog, but it is what it is. I really wish I had more time to play cross code because that is the thing where it's like, ugh. I wish I could devote time to this, but I'm, you know, one foot deep into so many other things trying to also play Hollow Knight. I think that, you know, Hollow Knight is clicking with me and uh, there's just so much game in the world. Yeah, I hope that next that you tell me about uh, your experience with Temtem very soon. That is a thing that you could even load. It's so chill. You could load it up like after the podcast and play a little bit before sleeping because it would just put you in a mood. I'm going to spend some time with uh, with the family, but maybe tomorrow I'll check out Temtem, check out Magic the Gathering Arena. I feel like I've got a good amount of homework here. Okay, take us on home. This has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online at WTDGpodcast.com. Online at... No, that's the one. WTDGpodcast.com. What am I saying? You know what it is, Ryan? It's that I am uh, almost done with this... Uh, very festive beer, this uh, Trog's Mad Elf. If you haven't tried it, got to try it. Hints of honey. Not even hints. It is absolutely packed Jam uh, with honey and cherry. Polywopped. Uh, but it is it is 11% ABV, which is a little bit higher than I'm used to. On That's Twitter at WTG Podcast on, and on iTunes at What's the Deal with Games, where you can rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. Thank you, Ryan Gowing, crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Rum for Cover Bandcamp. And uh, I don't know. I guess we just don't have it yet. And uh, it's we're so close. We're, we're to so the close Smash to Smash that we did. can't even announce that. Like, what are we going to announce for Smash? There are no more week? characters left to announce. I know. And they already did Piranha Plant, which was probably one of the most left field things I would have guessed. But still looks really cool, right? Yeah, it does look really cool. Um, so I'm going to say, I don't, I don't know who you're the most interested in, but I'm going to play those Belmonts. I'm going to, I'm going to try them too. So I'm going to say Temtem Trainer is the new, has just Ooh. been announced for Smash. What about Agent 47? Where Agent 47. Why is he not in it yet? Exactly. Isn't that, well, you know, did they separate? Yeah. You know, originally they were owned by IO. Uh, they were owned by Square Enix. I always owned by Square Enix, but Square dropped them, which is crazy. I don't know if you've listened to this whole situation on the Bombcast, but it is absolutely nuts that they were like, we're dropping IO, Interna in IO Interactive 
and we're putting out The Quiet Man. That is pretty and weird. And that's where Square is at. The Square just doesn't have it yet. Okay, and we just don't have it yet either. Bye, James. See you, Ryan.